0: Hello, ghouls and goblins, and welcome to a very haunted Halloween edition of Here's a Guy. We're all here, we're being festive. It's uh, early on a Sunday. We're doing this while it's uh, bright a day out, which is a little counterintuitive, but um, we're all in the Halloween spirit anyway. We're back from a week off, and uh, uh, we're we're so happy to join in with some some spooky festivities with all of you. Yeah, it's... uh of course, one of my favorite times of year, just because this this holiday is campy as hell, and I think it's really fun. I um, Also, get to eat a lot of candy and drink lots of booze, so that's pretty great. Yeah, I remember uh, when I was in law school at one point, I, I got an Uber ride to uh, a Halloween party where I was in full costume. I was dressed as Robin Hood, and um, the driver was a, a gentleman from, and I feel bad, I can't remember which country, but from one of the countries in West Africa where they don't really do Halloween, and he was asking me to explain, like, so what What exactly is Halloween? Like, it, it's a it's a holiday about being scared. Why, why do you enjoy that? <laughs> I'm like, you know, I actually can't articulate it, but I just know that I do, so um, gives us a chance. I think I explained it like it gives us a chance to dress up and act stupid. So there you go.
1: Yeah, it's an excuse to get drunk, which Americans particularly love, but also um, you get to pretend you're not you for a night, which I love.
0: That is uh, that is a tremendously sad thing you just said, and I think you just <laughs> killed the entire episode, and I think you just bummed everybody out so much that we're not even going to be able to do this. Yeah, can we start? This that's one the over? Re- that's the real horror. This Halloween is Jack's existential horror. <laughs> so I'm joined by my two. Uh, well, first of all, I'm Alex. I'm coming to you from St. Louis, uh, and I'm joined by my two usual terrifying co-hosts, one of whom coming to us from Illinois is uh cody and for no all of you fucking literature heads out there we know yeah it's not actually cody it's cody's monster we get it yeah yeah <laughs> that's uh yeah no cody's the son of a bitch who uh who created me and now i'm just walking around looking like this uh he's a real sick fuck yeah now he's our pro also yep. also joined by um uh the where idiot himself jack coming to us from indianapolis and what could yeah. be more scout Jacula himself oh yeah. actually actually that would
1: have been way funnier thank you yeah I,
0: we I think "Weird
1: we're, we're Idiot" makes a lot of sense for me, particularly, but I'll, I'll take Count Jacula. Yeah,
0: We're Idiot" has been where first of all. where Idiot" has been a thing for like ten years, so we couldn't That's really great. not. Also, <laughs> Count Jacula, I look forward to your first solo uh, porn video on your OnlyFans. So for for me, yeah, or did we just did we just rip off YKS accidentally. Um, maybe slightly. <laughs> they haven't done that bit. In a, <laughs> they haven't done that bit in a few years. I think the copyright's wearing off on that. Um, and also like, you know, if, if we're really going to dig into us ripping off YKS and other podcasts, then, um, we're going to have a problem. <laughs> so yeah, it's well, not a Pandora's really box. We'll open up the shit down. If, uh, if we open that can of worms, yeah. Hey, like can of worms, that's another spooky Halloween thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and for a reminder, yeah. Go read the, uh, Goosebumps book. Uh, go eat worms. Hell yeah. Really, and then go eat worms. And go eat worms. <laughs> for me, um, I, I, Someone someone used to call me Teen Wolf just because how goddamn hairy I am, but I'm older now, so I'm I'm now thirty something Wolf. <laughs> like that's that. the like sequel that, that they you. the the studio passed on. Yeah, that's really just the Wolf Man, like that, right, that's pretty, pretty much, much the entirety of that story. <laughs> yeah, that's just a guy who's a werewolf. Yeah, that's just a werewolf now. That's yeah. like every every werewolf movie ever. <clears throat> so we're here. We're, we're we're doing this early on a Sunday for all of you. Um that said, I am sucking down a pumpkin beer, so it feels no different than uh, when we usually do it. Um, as we said, it's our Halloween episode, and um got a lot to discuss, but let's start off with, I wanted to, to get you two's thoughts, and, and Cody, I'm going to know some of your answers for these, just by virtue of having been around, but, um, you know, Halloween growing up, you know, the candy's always kind of the, you know, that, that's always one of the big selling points, but let's... Let's oh, be on- yeah. let's be honest with ourselves. I mean, it was fun to dress up and, and you know, put on costumes. We were all kids who enjoyed that, I think. Jack, were you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And Cody, I know you and I did. So let's oh, go yeah. around the horn. Let's talk about some of our, our, our favorite Halloween costumes as a kid. Because, again, Cody and I, we both had some good ones. I know that for sure. Yeah. I think my all-time favorite, and it, this was nothing, like, mind-blowing conceptually, but also, like... Alex shared a picture on Twitter not long ago of the cake that our our mom and our aunt made for our birthday. Yeah, they're very creative people. Uh, our mom's a fucking boss, so yeah. she manages to make some really cool costumes. <clears throat> I was a spy one year. Yeah, and it was the dopest spy costume. It was you know trench coat, sunglasses, this really realistic looking hat. Couple other things that she just like threw together. It, it just there's pictures of this somewhere, but yeah, it was like dope-ass costume that was i think that was probably the most fun year for me yeah to be clear our our mom and our aunt like they would take making costumes because they made of all of our costumes and they would consider it a challenge and we love to challenge them um i know what my favorite of yours is but i'll let you go in case you're you're about to say it well uh this one is actually not one that um was when we were kids this was just a couple of years ago Um, I was, uh, Charlie Brown from the great pumpkin. So I had, I wore black shorts and our mom actually found a yellow, just plain shirt. And I don't remember how exactly it wasn't painted, but she put the, the Charlie Brown jagged stripe on it. And then we made the, uh, sheet with the black spots that looked like I had holes in it. So I could wear that sometimes. And then when I had to take that off to sea and stuff, I was still Charlie Brown. Yeah, I forgot what era that was, but, but I was going to say the Charlie Brown Ghost was was probably my favorite of yours. um, And again, not conceptually, but um, I think I remember you being a member of the Rat Pack one year and you had oh, this yeah. big fake martini. That one was, was very you. I don't remember if I was a specific member of the Rat Pack or if I was just generic drunk Vegas crooner. Yeah. You're one they called in, uh, uh, you know, in kind of a low point of the year. You're like the, you're like the Curly Joe. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) there you go. Or Peter Lawford or one of those other guys. All right. How about you, Jack, John? What were some of your
1: favorites? Uh, We didn't necessarily do like a bunch of like handmade costumes, but ones that I remember, especially as a kid, really liking. And I feel like a lot of kids had this one. It was the ghost face mask that had like the blood that circulated through it. So you oh, had the little, yeah. you had the little like squeeze ball in your hand, and you could just like make blood squirt out like you were killing uh-huh. somebody. Uh, loved that one, which explains a lot about me, probably. <laughs> uh, but also, uh, as a, as a kid of the nineties, I also remember fondly being Ash, Ash Ketchum one Halloween, so like, oh, yeah. stuff like that. Like I could see you pulling that off. <laughs> nothing like too too creative, but just a ton of fun of like just like things that I loved. I didn't really start getting like creative with my costumes until I was an adult. Do
0: you have any adult costumes of yours that that you're particularly proud of?
1: My favorite one that I've done, it was Halloween, I think like three years ago now. Uh, It was right when uh, there was the Banksy painting that like sold and like instantly shredded after it was sold for like a shit ton of money. And that year I went to Goodwill and I bought like a cheap like picture frame. It was gold. I busted out everything. So it was just the frame. And then I took a white t-shirt. I drew the painting on it and then I cut half of it so it was like shredded at the bottom and then I just wore the picture frame
0: that is pretty good I think uh, another good adult one for me this was like five years ago I think Uh, I was Officer Farva from Super Troopers (laughs) that one suited you pretty well that's perfect yeah not only do I have a similar build to Officer Farva uh, perhaps slightly less morbidly obese but uh, um, also uh, you know I just had the whole state police uniform I also had a leader of cola and I shaved down to a mustache. And I don't know if you've ever uh any of you out there have ever seen me with just a mustache, but it looks uncannily like Farva. Like just from the neck up, I just am Farva. So uh, a lot Yeah, that was there. that that was probably the best costume I, I've had in my adult years just in terms of realism. And and to, to demonstrate your commitment to that particular costume, um something else that, that happened is um like within days of that, wh- whatever Halloween party went to for that, our family took like a bunch of like nice family pictures, um, mm-hmm. and uh, you know you had shaved down because your usual your usual facial hair is the mustache and then um, some like a, a thinner beard on the bottom. So I, I either I either go for mustache and goatee or mustache and very right. heavily trimmed right beard, yeah. And you didn't want to have just a mustache and look like Farva in our family pictures, so instead you shave that off. And so in these family pictures, for one of the only times I can recall in our adult life, you are completely clean shaven. Um, which that's—I look, look very much like Fred Flintstone. Yeah. Yeah. If you—if any of you have ever seen those photos, that is the backstory behind that. Um, you can yep. thank a Farva costume for that. So for me, I—I I really liked to challenge. Um, our mom and our aunt on this and also as we've established, <laughs> like I'm just like a I was a weird kid, okay? I just was. I was a weird kid. Mm-hmm. And so I would come up with just the weirdest shit. Um, one, this one wasn't as unusual, but I, I thought was cool and the execution of it was particularly cool. Um I wanted to be a three headed monster. And so what they did is they made me like a sweatsuit and um, there would be like tears in the tops and the bottoms where like fur would stick out. And for the other two heads, they got two Halloween monster masks, stuffed them, and, like, sewed them onto my shoulders, and gave me big, creepy hands. So that one was great. I remember one year, um, <clears throat> I wanted to be... Again, I just wanted to go as obscure as possible. I wanted to be an amoeba. And you got that from Calvin and Hobbes, I think. That I'm sure that's where I got the word amoeba. That's where I got a lot of my enhanced <laughs> vocabulary as a kid, sadly, was Calvin and Hobbes. Um... So it was sort of an offshoot of that idea. And yeah, my mom made like a cardboard cutout and looked up like what an amoeba looks like in a microscope because it's a microscopic organism. And then gave me a sign to hold that said, I am an amoeba, a microscopic organism. <laughs> you know what would have been really funny is if you'd gone as an amoeba and then just not shown up. Yeah, ah. you can't see him. Yeah, I was there. You just couldn't see me. See, I should add, our costumes could be pretty intricate because we did not do normal trick-or-treating. We lived out in the country and, you know, instead of, you know, just taking us to town and walking up and down the streets in town, what we would do is we would just get driven around to, like, all of our family members' houses, like, all over town and all over the country, and they would give us... You know, treat bags and stuff, and it, it was it was very strange how we did it. But um, when you live out in bumfuck nowhere, things are a little different growing up. Like that's that's something we've established. Yeah, I looking back, I, I do wish like at least just for one Halloween we could have done just like the real trick or treat experiences, like walk around town because we knew our way around town. But on the other hand, like the the trade off was we I think we got way more loot doing it the way that we did. So. Um, <clears throat> The, but the other one that really, and this was the most obscure, I think, of all of them. I was the Onion of Death. And what this was, and where this idea came from, and this is one of the, the nerdiest, most on-brand things I've ever said. It was from a, a sketch in like an Anniversary Garfield book that Jim Davis did where it was like an onion who is the grim reaper. And it just said the onion of death. And I was just tickled by the fact that it was total non sequitur and made no sense. So I'm like, I want to be that for Halloween. (laughs) And our mom made like this wire onion and covered it with white cloth and got me a scythe. And so I was the onion of death. Great execution (laughs) of the costume. It just made no sense, but it made me happy. Hell yeah. So does the onion of death is, is he like the grim reaper, but for vegetables like when it's time to make soup, does he just stand there going, "You, you, you"? You know. I n- I never fully fleshed out the lore of the Onion of Death. I think I liked the mystery better, because what what explanation could I give that that would be any funnier than people speculating what this weird little kid could possibly mean? You know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, those those were some of my favorites, and. um you know, obviously dressing up was cool, but as I mentioned, the candy was cool too. And um, oh, yeah. on that note, um, I'd like to play a game. And uh, actually, hold on, I'm gonna do that like uh, I'm gonna do that like Jigsaw. You want to hear my Jigsaw impression? Ooh, sure. <clears throat> hey, uh, I'm Jigsaw. I'd like to play a game. <laughs> That's my Jigsaw impression. So apparently, in this scenario, uh, Jigsaw is ordering at a Subway. Like, uh, can I get a? That is the the tone that was used there. Hey, I'm Jigsaw. Can I get a a Cold Cut Trio, please? And also, I'd like to play a game. So this after which you will be a Cold Cut Trio. So this game we're going to play. Um, you know, tons of of people, tons of podcasts have debated like what the best Halloween candies are. That's been done to death. So I don't want to do that. Instead, we're going to have a little competition. Because what are are, are are, you know, bad things you could get? You could get like weird old school treats that aren't any good. There's definitely some of those, and we will get to them. Mm-hmm. But also, um, there's like and I know none of these are real, but you know, there's like moral panics. You know? Candy <laughs> laced yeah. with drugs or weapons of some sort. Um so I want to get your thoughts on we're gonna go through I didn't um, that popcorn ball, there's a fucking hand grenade in there. <laughs> Um, I'm going to do six of these. I'm going to name... They're going to be straight-up versus. It's going to be an old-school crappy treat versus a a moral panic treat. And I want to get your your thoughts on which you would rather get. Okay. All right. So um, let's get to the, to the, the first of these. Would you rather get Necco wafers or Pixie Sticks laced with fentanyl? Pixie sticks, one hundred percent. Yeah, because <laughs> they because they might not kill me, and then you just have a real good night.
1: Yeah, and
0: also, neko wafers. Literally, tums are more appetizing than neko wafers.
1: You know, yeah. neko wafers I would just. I can't imagine how disgusted I would be at a person who's giving those out unironically.
0: <laughs> Necco wafers manage to taste worse than their medicine counterparts. That is that is a very rare thing. Yeah. This one, I'm actually going to take the neko wafers because I don't know how much fentanyl is in that Pixie Stick. And also, I'm not crazy about Pixie Sticks to begin with. I think they're just fine. So I don't know if the juice is really worth the squeeze on that one. neko wafers are terrible, though. Uh, that is true. Are those the ones, though, where you can, like, turn off the lights and you can see, like, the static as you eat them? Or am I thinking of something else? No, I think that's, um, not, I think that's some kind of mint. I think that's, hmm. like, the super intent, like, intense like wintergreen or mint hmm. and lifesavers maybe at least like i can crunch him, you can see that at least i can make a bit out of how bad a Necco wafer is i can play it up for <laughs> sympathy <clears throat> all right so i got a Necco wafer so um on that note next in the competition double bubble gum or a rock double bubble Pr- practically for the sure. same practically the same thing yeah, no double bubble. Um, well, let me let me add it, it's a, a lot of... it's a double bubble that's been sitting around for a little while. Again, I have been calling uh, high school baseball games for a fair number of years. I have munched my way through some double bubble that was just sitting in some buckets and some press boxes. So, I'm used to that. Yeah. Um, the rock, not much to do except throw it at whoever gave it to me. Well, yeah. So I feel like I get slightly less out of that. Yeah.
1: My my question: How big is this rock?
0: Um,
1: about you make, like, uh, a desk weight out of it, or is it like a a pebble? Is it just gonna? Like, it wouldn't be the nice.
0: It wouldn't be the nicest desk weight ever. You could probably hold down a few papers. Just a very ordinary sized rock. Like have you have seen Charlie Brown? Like the rocks that yeah. the, all those very cruel adults were giving. Them. <laughs>
1: I'm uh, I'm taking the rock.
0: I'm also gonna take the rock. Um, you know I can find something fun to do with yeah. it. Um. One would be exactly what you said, Cody, which is throw it back at the house, and um, yeah, <laughs> that adult can do nothing to you. What are they going to do? Yeah, Call that's... the cops? The cops are going to be like, "Well, why did you give the kid the rock, you asshole?" Yeah, that that was kind of a stupid move on their part. For first of all, I that has always bothered me because I'm like, I understand that the rest of these kids are shit bags. Why are the adults ganging up on this mm-hmm. child? Like, why are you you are an adult bullying a small child? Something is very wrong with you. Also. You just handed the disaffected kid a weapon is what you just did. Like, this is a rock that could seriously hurt somebody were it thrown, uh, thrown hard. So why you gotta, why you gotta give the kid that everybody shits on that, that does not go well historically, especially in this country. It's Columbine high school, Charlie Brown. Oh God. Uh, Yeah. I'm going to, I'll cut that one out and post. Um, Charlie Brown throws the rock and you see it come back no. at him and it knocks all his clothes off like in the baseball cartoons. <laughs> I really shouldn't joke. We just had one of those like right down the street from me the other day. I probably shouldn't joke about that. But um, all right. Next one. I'm going to go with um, Tootsie Rolls or a bag of gummy bears. Some contain THC, some don't. And there's no way of telling which. And you also don't know what dosage of THC it is. So I this is where I am very lucky. I'm going to go with the gummy bears because um, there are something I learned as an adult is there are apparently some people who cannot metabolize THC in edible form. And I am one of those people. Edibles do nothing to me. Doesn't matter how much. Famous last words. I'm telling you, I'm telling you nothing's going to happen. I have, I have attempted so many times but uh so you're just getting a bag of gummy bears yeah yeah Yeah, so i'm just getting a bag of gummy bears and i'll take that over a tootsie roll any day i've never been a big tootsie roll yeah Uh,
1: i feel like i'm in i guess probably rare air in this podcast where i actually like tootsie rolls um but i'm going to definitely take the weed gummies there
0: i would i would go the tootsie rolls just to alleviate the risk if it was the like fruit flavored, you know, the ones that you only get during uh, parades. Because actually, actually, yeah, like those, those
1: are those are good.
0: Ch- I do like the the vanilla and the orange and the lemon yeah. The if it's thing.
1: like the tiny ones and not like the brick that will just break your teeth right. off. Yeah, the, the chocolate ones are just fine. So
0: I'm gonna go with the gummy bears. Um, yeah, I'll just roll the dice on it. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, and be yeah. patient. I, you know, I'm someone in my life who has made the the you know miscalculating edibles mistakes. So I, I you know, I think I've learned that lesson. Yeah. Um again, famous last words, but
1: just uh, just make sure you're not doing anything for twenty four <laughs> hours
0: afterwards. Right. You'll be fine. Alright, so next next one up, um a popcorn ball. And I'm not talking about like a nice moist pot I'm talking about like the hard popcorn ball or a tide pod. <laughs> Do I have to eat the Tide Pod? Because that could at least be useful. No, <laughs> So I don't have to eat the Tide Pod. You have to use it in some capacity, but you don't have to eat it, no. Well, then I'm taking the Tide Pod, because then I can do laundry. Yeah. What about you, Jack?
1: Yeah, I, I'm i trying to think of a funny way that I could use that popcorn ball for anything other than just throwing it like everything else we have. I think I have to take the Tide Pod. Uh, I don't use Tide, but I'm sure we could just do like a load of towels or something where I'm not worried about the consistency of them afterwards. Yeah,
0: probably won't kill you. <laughs> yeah, I'm also gonna go the tide pod for that reason. I mean, as, as delicious as they look, uh, I, I know <laughs> not to eat them. The popcorn ball, yeah, you can't even have any fun throwing that because they're so lightweight. It, I do like a good like moist popcorn ball, but um, or as as some people in our family do, Cody, the popcorn cake where it's really moist and oh, has like hell yeah. has like peanut M&M. incredible. It yeah. has peanut MMs in it. Oh, so good. Ooh. But. I, I, I like the taste of even the hard popcorn ball, but like I can't deal with that shit being stuck in my teeth for a week after. I'm, I'm just not right. doing it. Now. which reminds, Just as a brief aside, I don't know if I've ever got you two's thoughts on this, but I had a friend in law school who the entire time we were there, we'd argued about this periodically. She insisted to me, would always pitch me on how in um, The Lion King, the bugs that Timon and Pumbaa would eat, she would always pitch me about how delicious they looked. And I'm like... No, they're not. They're bugs. You know they're bugs. They look so like are you, bugs. So what do you two, do, do you think the bugs look delicious? No, I don't. Um, I, I could see if they were shaped a little more like gummy worms, how that would look good. Right. But <clears throat> they just look like, but also when uh, afterwards Timon says tastes like chicken, that always, I was just like, it's a bug that tastes like chicken. I don't like <laughs> that idea at all. I mean, I'm sure it tastes better than your standard bug, but yeah. Yeah the hell's up with that bug why does that bug taste like chicken that shouldn't happen
1: i i will say they're very they're very colorful they're vibrant it looks like they might have varying textures but yeah i know at the end of the day i can't get past that they are bugs yeah um should always tell it, me
0: like they look so juicy i'm like yeah what do you think that juice is and what does it taste like it's <laughs> yeah, not it's not fruit active, they are they are actively wriggling it's, it's, like, it's not a it's it not a gusher, it's rungs. not
1: full of delicious juice, yeah. okay? It reminds me of like the meal in Emperor's New Groove where it's like that like weird like centipede thing, and he like unrolls it and it's like steaming, and it's like that's not gonna taste good, and that's like the intention of it, is to not right. look like it's gonna be good, no matter how colorful or vibrant it is. Right. Glad we're all
0: on the same page on that one. Alright, we've got two more of these, so let's let's get back to it. Um Smarties. Or a razor blade and an apple. I like Smarties, so I'm gonna go with the Smarties here. That seems like a pretty
1: easy decision. Yeah, I unironically like Smarties; those are delicious. I will take those. Uh, also, I already have apples at home, so I don't need more apples. I'm and not. Razors. I'm not into. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> I'm not into Smarties. Um, you know, for this thought exercise, I am probably gonna think it's suspicious that a, that someone gave me an apple. So I will. You know, and it's enough of a meme, I will at least inspect it. I'll say, if, if I would have no clue that there's a razor blade in here, I would take the Smarties. I don't hate them that much. <laughs> but here, you yeah, know, I'll, I'll take the razor blade and the apple. I mean, if I can fish that razor blade out of there, then I get a delicious apple. Unless yeah. it's a red delicious apple, in which case we're back to the Smarties. Unsalvageable. Yeah. Crap. Overrated apple. Yeah. Terrible consistency. <clears throat> the worst. All right, so final, final one, and this one really... This one is, is is really the 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 hardest of all. Candy corn, or you get molested.
1: Oh, how much candy corn are we getting?
0: <laughs> um, how about a, a a little bag, just like a little dime bag of, of candy corn. As long as it's no more than that, then I'll take the candy corn. But I tell you, we go any higher than that, yeah. and we're gonna start have to having
1: some conversations. Yeah if it's more than a handful of candy corn like i'm probably going the other way but if it's like five pieces i'm i'm going to not be happy but i'm going to take the candy corn
0: also i guess it depends in part by who we're getting molested by exactly yeah not at that liberty not at liberty to disclose that ahead of time that's info you Shit. don't get <laughs> <laughs> so yeah let me let me just say can i say the the problem with candy corn Every year, people overcorrect back and forth on this. I don't think it's horrible, but it's, it's worse than almost everything that you're going to get otherwise. And that creates the problem because candy corn, it's a lot more palatable when it's fresh. But you're yeah. never going to eat it when it's fresh because then you would have to eat it before you eat, like, you know, the Snickers and the Twix and the Gushers or whatever else. It just won't happen. So... The problem creates itself. Like, if you gave me some candy corn, like, fresh out of a bag you just opened, fine. Not great. But you never eat it fresh out of the bag. It doesn't happen. The problems yeah. with getting molested are very uh, self-evident. So, uh, I am probably going to go with the candy corn here. I think, you know, there, there's a lot less variance. It's a low ceiling, but a, a higher floor than yeah. getting molested.
1: Candy corn is okay in very, very, very small doses, like a dime bag of uh, of candy corn, as yeah. you said. Like the that's the exact amount you need for a year.
0: Surely, someone has thought to put weed in candy corn, right? Surely, somewhere. I, uh, I think so. Uh, everyone... yeah, surely one of those. Surely one of those dispensaries in California, who's actually had like ten years to perfect this craft, has right. probably done it. Right.
1: Uh, everyone listening at home. Uh, Try to make weed candy corn and then uh email us and uh, tell us how it goes.
0: Yeah, preferably then, uh, while you're us, feeling the then, effects. Yeah. And then send us the leftover weed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, uh um, uh, you know, if any of you have thoughts on on what your preferences <laughs> would be, feel free to send them to us. Uh, here's a mailbox at gmail.com. Um so as much as we'd love to to discuss all this fun stuff, that's not what we're here to do. We're here to talk about some ghouls. Ah, Sounded like Elden Hoke there. Ah, ah this pumpkin beer is pretty strong. All right, let's get to it. Uh, Jack, <laughs> Jack, would you help me out, please? I knew you should have had lunch
1: before we did this. <laughs> yeah, I think I remember it. It's uh, the ghouls.
0: Ooh, thank you. Put a little put a little spin on it. Look, I ate some raisin bran crunch. Okay. Um, fuck, I lost my train of thought. That's unfortunate. Good. The good news is I'm up first. Um. And uh, we're, we're topping off Mayhem Month, and um, the story is maybe a little bit shorter, a little less involved than some others, but in my opinion, it packs a real punch. Uh, my guy this week is Brian Trost. I was torn between a few topics to wrap up Mayhem Month. Then I thought, Mayhem Month is supposed to be about real-life horrors. This one fits that theme about as well as anything out there. Because for me, finding things that scare the shit out of me, like on a visceral level... It's pretty difficult, because I don't really believe in the paranormal, and I, like, yeah, like, serial killers exist and shit, but the odds are astronomically low that you'll ever actually encounter one. This story, though, is a kind of thing that gives me the heebie-jeebies. The setting. Um, something far more terrifying than a graveyard or a haunted forest. For this storyline, we head to dun-dun-dun, the suburbs. Oh, no. You know... You laugh, but that Tom Hanks movie uh, <laughs> illustrated just exactly how um, scary and poorly written the suburbs can be.
1: Same with uh, the "It's Always Sunny" episode where uh yeah, yeah. Move to the also suburbs. yes.
0: <laughs> also, I think the theme of poltergeist. So yeah. this this one's actually a local story. It takes place in a fancy pants area of the St. Louis suburbs. So it all starts normally enough. Brian Trost and his wife, Susie, are just ordinary upper-middle-class folks. They have four children. And in 2007, they're in the market to buy a house somewhere out in the burbs. Ooh, hiss. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, amazingly, I, I know we're off to a bad start. Amazingly, they are going to come off sympathetic in this story. Uh, which just goes to show how fucked maybe up this is going to get. So, that October, right in the middle of spooky season... They purchase a nice house from a couple named David and Tina Galt, who had lived there for the last 10 years. David Galt is the vice president of a pretty well-known plumbing and electrical company around here. The key takeaway there is that David Galt is someone who understands construction and the inner workings of homes, therefore meaning, if this house had some, let's just say, massive horrifying problem with it, he wouldn't have the excuse of being too ignorant to have noticed. So let me just say, buying a house for anyone uh, sucks. It was something that uh, I had to do earlier this year. It's, it's just an awful process. There are a ton of complex, uh, complexities to it, a lot of stuff that you have to learn on the fly. But one of the pretty basic principles that I think everyone knows, um, if there are major flaws in the home, the sellers are legally required to disclose them to potential buyers. I mean, the reasons for that are obvious, especially since many problems that pop up in a house won't be obvious to someone just walking through and looking around for 20 minutes. As you may guess, there's a reason that I point this out. The Tross buy the house from the Gults for $450,000. After all, it's a big, lovely house in the upscale suburb of Weldon Spring. It overlooks part of a very classy golf course notably the kind that doesn't get pooped in right <laughs> <That's> right <laughs> yeah if the golf believe it or not the golf hole pooper if he entered the picture here would not be the biggest problem
1: with this area <laughs> that's that's how bad be this kind is kind of a get. minor
0: minor annoyance
1: oh no, you're saying he'd be, that... runi-
0: he'd be relegated to running gag status
1: you're saying that the golf hole pooper would be issue number two that's right that's
0: right jack john that is what i'm saying so um, I hate this
1: fucking podcast
0: <laughs> so much. Notably, the Gaults made no mention to the Tross that the house had any particular problem that would make living there the stuff of nightmares. And that, I will say, for, for those of you prospective home buyers, maybe a good question to ask, is there anything here that will lead to three dumb guys talking about it on a Halloween episode of a podcast? They didn't ask that question, apparently. <laughs> so the Tross move in and the problems start right away. The first thing that happens is there is a massive water leak that floods the master bathroom. And the tross can't figure out what caused it. The flood's bad enough that it damages the wood in the bathroom and the signs of the mold start appearing. Ooh. So that's a real bummer. And in most cases, that would be the worst surprising revelation about a house you just bought. If only... Yeah, that's a, that's a big <laughs> enough pain in the ass yeah. on its own. If yeah. only that could be said here. If only... While settling into their new place, the Trots start to say, like, you know, the, the Gaults really didn't do a great job spiffing this place up before we moved in. There's a lot of cobwebs around. <laughs> also, also this creepy old butler that comes out of nowhere. <laughs> also, all the paintings have the eyes cut out. <laughs> what the hell's going on around here? There's it, like a suit of armor that follows you, us around.
1: <laughs> this is far too, look, we don't mind the spookiness, but it's way too on the nose is the problem. Why is mystery incorporated outside every night? What is happening?
0: <laughs> you're just you're you're the hell out of this. Constantly hearing the uh the the bat the bat noise from the intro Scooby Doo. You <laughs> know the one. Oh my god, I wish I could find that sound effect. Yeah. <clears throat> then one day, while Susie is showering, a spider falls from the ceiling, narrowly avoiding landing on her and getting sucked down the drain. And Susie's like, "Well, that's kind of creepy." Then the trust start noticing more spiders around the house. Oh no. They'd find them while cleaning the blinds, while cleaning the fireplaces, while cleaning the lights. They'd turn on a ceiling fan and either a spider or a spider's exoskeleton would fall onto the floor. What very quickly fuckload of spiders, What very quickly became obvious? Every nook and cranny of this house was infested with spiders like the end of the movie arachnophobia yeah God. if you are an arachnophobe uh, just just a heads up this is not the segment for you as it's becoming like it's obvious an, It's
1: a heads up as there's like eight spiders that have already been <laughs> found in the house
0: well oh, do you not like these eight million spiders in this house sorry you should have mentioned that earlier <laughs> our dad's not gonna like this segment um no he does not <laughs> like spiders so the trots are just like what the fuck's going on here they managed to trap one of the spiders in Tupperware and bring it to a pest control company seeking help. I should mention something And you else, seen this man? Something else that's curious, these were all the same kind of spider. See, there's a ton of different common species of house spider, but these all look the same. About the size of a half dollar, brown and with a little violin-shaped pattern on their back. Oh no. The pest control companies dropped the horrifying news on the tross that this home that they just newly bought is thoroughly infested with highly venomous brown recluse spiders. Yeah, Yeah. those things are fucking nasty. It makes sense that they would all be the same kind of spider if there's that kind of infestation, Mm -hmm. because you would, you know, that's kind of how that happens. But yeah, as soon as you said that violin-shaped thing, I'm like, yeah, those things, oh, I hate those things. I don't even, I don't even mind spiders, and I, those things give me the creeps. Well, yeah. just to add on to the creepiness of it, consider the logistics here, especially when we find out, and we will find out exactly how many spiders are in this house, fear you not. Oh,
1: I hope not.
0: But when you consider, <laughs> I very much doubt that there were enough other bugs for the spiders to completely subsist on that, so they're probably cannibalizing each other. What could be worse than spiders? Cannibal spiders. Well, yes, but in a sense, maybe they're helping solve your problem for you. Maybe they'll just eat each other.
1: I mean, legitimately, if you got that many spiders, you have no other bugs. And I guess if the spiders are eating themselves, they're taking care of the spider population. I don't know how to solve this how the hell did these people live in a house with that many brown
0: recluses for more than a day and not all wind up dead? Those things are <laughs> bastards. They will, I,
1: like, they're aggressive, too. Well, they were trying. They were just, like, dumb and dumbering their way, like, falling well, down the spider or <laughs> the, the shower drain. They were trying. Well, Cody, what you just said. Actually,
0: hold on to that thought, because we're going to return to that point. Um, oh, God damn it! So multiple pest control companies try to rid the house of the spiders, but to their shock, they can't. There are just way too many of them. The drywall is completely full of spiders and their eggs. Susie described the situation as, and I quote, spiders bleeding out of the walls. Again, <laughs> is end of the movie Arachnophobia, if you've yeah. ever seen that. It's metal as shit. <laughs> so yeah, obviously it doesn't take long before the Tross pack up their shit and move out. Um and something they do just, just trying anything desperately to try and help this situation they take all the furniture and they just completely wrap it with plastic wrap and it's dead of winter, so they just leave it out in the freezing cold, hoping that they'll just kill some of the spiders to help out the situation. I mean, they're they're in full desperation mode. The house is so totally uninhabitable at this point that the feds, Fannie Mae, they take control of it. And Fannie Mae, they, they call in the big guns. They call in a pest control titan named Tim McCarthy. Tim Look, he's a hero of this story, so I want to clarify that I mean this as a compliment. Tim is a fucking lunatic, okay? He's, if you see pictures of him in these articles, he literally looks like he's headed to war. He's an old white guy with a shaved head and a goatee who wears an olive green lightweight jacket with like just a series of clamps running diagonally across it like he's holding ammunition. Like, if you were going oh to God. cast a crazy big gun pest control guy in a movie, this would be the guy. Again, John Goodman in arachnophobia. Yes. But that that's not the worst profession to be in if you're that kind of lunatic, to tell you the truth. No. I I think that that kind of psychosis probably comes in pretty handy. No, I mean if you're great at killing bugs, then then yes. So, um this house was the greatest challenge of his illustrious bug-killing career. What Tim does is cover the entire house with a 15,000 square foot tent, makes it airtight, and blast poison gas into it at a temperature of 67 degrees below zero. So he is freezing and choking the spiders. This is the point where the story became a media firestorm. Because, like, you couldn't ignore that something was going down at this house. The tent is, like, red and blue striped. It looked like the damn worst circus of all time, okay? Yeah. It would be entertaining, but uh, you could not survive it. And to that point... Tim gave this quote to the media like, there'll be nothing alive in there after this. Thanks, man. That was true. Oh,
1: fuck, I forgot we have a kid. He's still in the house. <laughs> oh, shit, grandpa!
0: <laughs> it's gonna be like that. another episode of It's Always Sunny where like they're going in for their World Series tickets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was true. Tim did kill all the spiders, but of course the house was unsalvageable after that and they had to tear it down. So the house couldn't be saved, but he did save the neighborhood when you think about it. Like, I was yeah. going to say, because if you just knock that house down without doing that mm-hmm. first, congratulations. <laughs> the Spiders now run this town. Yeah. yeah, This is Spiderville. You they live have to in go Spiderville somewhere. now. Like, it may have genuinely ruined the the suburb of Weldon Springs, Missouri. <laughs> I, for one, <laughs> can't wait to see a Satanist Spiders baseball game. Ooh. So the Tross, understandably, they take legal action after this. They sue first the Gaults for not disclosing the massive infestation of venomous spiders to them. Yeah, this house definitely won't kill you. Uh, 250k. <laughs> call it even. So if you're the Gaults, there are two ways that you can try and defend this, this suit. One would be to claim that they never noticed the problem when they lived there. That one obviously isn't going to fly, because no jury on the face of the earth is going to buy that story, that you, you you didn't notice all these spiders. It took the Tross, like, days to, to notice. Option two. You can argue that the problem didn't exist when they lived there. And as, as silly as that sounds, there's something to that, because often um, how brown recluses spread from place to place is they like to hide in boxes, and they're so sneaky, yeah. people don't notice them. It's a pretty common problem. For like, there will be one hiding in a box, and you take it to the next house. They basically follow you there. So the Gauls attempt this defense at trial. But and seriously, you... how how long would it have to 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 be there well, to get to this size? And and that's that's the point. You may be able to guess why this didn't work. <laughs> the Tross attorneys hired. There this... are forty million spiders in this house. They were not all born this week. I'm sorry. <laughs> The Tross attorneys hire this expert named Jamel Sandage, another good side character. Jamel is an entomologist with the University of Kansas, um, and he's been a scientist who's worked in the area of pest control for decades. So Sandage went out and inspected the home before Tim McCarthy went all Vietnam on it, and at trial he testified as to just how many spiders were in this house. And you know what, since we're at this point, I'm going to let the two of you take a guess. It, It is far less than a million, I'll say, but how um, many spiders is this just an estimate or how many they found an estimate okay and there's going to be um, a, there, there's going to be an asterisk on this which I'll explain but I'll just let you guess estimated how many they 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 decided i'm going to say 300,000 all right Jeff. what's
1: the, just to so, do you have the square footage or how many bedrooms this house was no it's not a like a
0: palatial mansion or anything it's just like okay. a normal suburban house
1: I'm going to go, you said, what, 300 Cody? I was going to go a little bit higher and say $400. one
0: Bob. So, I will say, you're both overestimating, okay. because to be fair, if there were 100,000 spiders, they literally could not all fit in the walls.
1: That's fair. I fair,
0: don't know. Fair. Brown recluses are kind of small, though. Yeah, maybe mm-hmm. I was overestimating if, the size of the I, house.
1: The, yeah, no, the bleeding out of the walls made me think it was just, like, instead of insulation, it's just spiders. <laughs> so, here's what he decided, and there there's an, an asterisk to this.
0: Sandage testified that at the time he went out there, he estimated four to six thousand spiders. But That's here's the here's the thing: this estimate was in the dead of winter when brown recluses tend to lay dormant. So he testified there are actually way more than that in there. I just can't tell how many. So it could oh. actually be a little closer to U 2s estimates. Um, I was gonna say I bet I would be I would not be shocked if it was over. 10,000 because again brown recluses are not very big yeah and depending on how the house is constructed there can be quite a bit of space in that drywall so yeah he if didn't... it's just wall-to-wall spiders then yeah that's a lot of spiders he didn't speculate such a thing probably because i, I imagine that's not allowed a trial but um yeah you're, you're probably right cody it probably is at least 10,000 so yeah it's true that you know they can be transported by boxes and moving. And yeah, they reproduce quickly, but there was no way that that many all appeared all at once. It, it just simply cannot be. Now, he did also testify, and this is getting back to your previous point, Cody. There are some myths about brown recluses. They're actually not aggressive. Most spiders aren't. Really? Um, but see, I mean, we don't see them that often around here, but we have been told that uh, brown recluses are kind of dicks. But, you know, it, just like any other... You know any other spider? Like if there's one in your shoe and you put your shoe on, they're gonna bite you. Or they'll like if they get in your sheets, it's it's very easy to accidentally wind up in a scenario where you get bit. And yeah. although it's not a guarantee that that you're gonna die, um, what Sandich testified to is like, yeah, you may not die, but you'll wish you were dead. So yeah, it's, it's, it causes are, necrosis. More, it's 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 horribly horribly painful and possibly yeah, could paralyze are, you. Well and even normally that doesn't happen if it's treated relatively promptly yes but it can but it's still apparently like the the venom what it does to the site just even if it doesn't become necrotic it hurts like hell for a little while um yeah they are more dangerous than a black widow i know that yeah speaking yep. of black widows have i ever have i ever told my black widow spider story from the old apartment building i used to live in on the show i don't believe so Okay, maybe after this segment we'll do that real quick. Um, so, um, the Tross prevail at trial. The jury awards them $470,000, which really not that much all things considered, like it's a cost of the house plus some interest. But to make matters worse, the Gauls had declared bankruptcy, so the Tross, they can't even get to this money. That's where we, <laughs> get, that's where we get to something even more horrifying than Spiders. Dun-dun-dun. Insurance companies. Oh, oh, no. Um, The Tross had inherited a policy with um, a very well-known, famous insurance company that I won't name since, um, for one thing, at, at least two friends of the show work for this <laughs> insurance company. <laughs> um, Not the particular branch. Um, I'll also cover my ass by saying these are all allegations because, spoiler alert, this part of the case is still pending to this day uh more on that in a bit but if we want to talk about a real life horror like just our insurance system in general like have you really ever thought about how this works which is that like you know we we are either practically or legally required to get insurance on certain things we pay them money every month just for the for the possibility that if we if something goes really wrong they can give us some money when we need it Oh, but also they actively try and avoid paying as much as possible. Yeah, it, it is one of the most predatory business practices. It, it, it's a great idea in theory, just like a lot of things. Um, <laughs> but the thing is that human beings are irredeemable greed monsters. So, Absolutely. Yeah. And the profit motive, of course. So, the fuckery began even before the spiders. If you remember the big water leak... The Tross reported that to this insurance company. Um, Allegedly, they didn't even come out to look at it, and um, um, they didn't want to to figure out what the cause was. (coughs) They're just like, nah, that doesn't sound like something we cover. And the Tross are like, (laughs) can you at least come look at it? And the insurance company is like, no, we said no. Oh, and FYI, if you say there's mold showing up now, that means if you drop us, no other uh, insurance company is going to take you. So maybe think about that before you start bitching. What a I mean, piece of shit. Practically speaking, there's really no difference except the trosses aren't wasting money on premiums anymore, cause yeah, you have insurance, but clearly they're not actually insuring yeah. anything. <laughs> this yeah. is like the most fucked up house purchase of all time, and they have no interest in it. God. Um, there's some illusions that like the main insurance agent is like a member of the golf course nearby, so I don't know if that means he was he was friends with the gaults or what the deal was i don't know the, the, the whole thing is very strange unsurprisingly uh the spider infestation does not warm their their cold hearts any um and allegedly the tross they file a claim and the insurance company basically just ignored them like they didn't even assign a, a claim number to this this spider situation you can do that i who's I mean, who can them? do that not but... <laughs> I would have thought there would be some kind of oversight <coughs> committee or body that you could report such a thing to, but I guess not, because this is America. Well, the, the the remedy possibly here is that you sue them, and the lawsuit's still pending, so I'll put it this way. It is an open question whether or not they can do this and get away with it. <laughs> Will eventually be decided by uh, a majority of the people of St. Louis County. So, um, the trust, of course, they sue them over all this the insurance company, they file a motion for summary judgment, which I've, I've, I think I've said on the show a couple of times, it's like, it's a motion that's pretty much always filed in in civil cases. Like, you know, here's the reasons why this case shouldn't even proceed. Like the, the entire claim is flawed for some reason. Um, they argue two things. One, and I don't do this area of law, so this is all a little over my head. Um, one is just like a very technical reason uh, that's, somehow claiming that uh, the tross are barred from the claim since, as had been adjudicated in the case against the gaults, the issues popped up before they bought the house and inherited the policy. I don't know what difference that would make, but they, they make that argument. Two, and, and here's the sillier one, they argue that spiders actually fit the definition of insect or vermin rather than pest, so therefore isn't covered under their policy. The Tross responded by pointing out, among other things... What the fuck? Hang on. Vermin is an ambiguous term, and spiders, scientifically speaking, are not insects, but arachnids. This is actually being litigated in the court of law. So, hang on. They're (laughs) saying they're insects or vermin and not pests. Yeah. That is what pests are. Think of any pest. They are an insect or they are vermin. Are they not? Cockroaches. Rats. Shit like that. Guess what cockroaches and rats are? One's an insect, and one is vermin. And you know, not why, is, to, why are you trying to make a distinction there? Not to get overly accusatory, but I almost wonder if insurance companies include all these different ambiguous but similar definitions just for this kind of purpose. <laughs> Probably. I can't think of any other reason. It certainly doesn't help anything from a practical standpoint. So... I don't know what the exact reason was, but um, summary judgment was denied. Um, I actually do know the judge this is in front of, and so when when the case is all over, I'm probably just going to go ask him, like, what the fuck is going on behind the scenes of this case. <laughs> but the case pushes on to this day. The trial was set for January, but uh, was recently continued to October of 2023. And if I was the defense attorneys, I would not be thrilled about the fact that they have to try this thing in the middle of spooky season. <laughs> um, so that's something to keep an eye on. Typically, when these kinds of cases go to trial, they take fucking forever. Um, but I'm going to keep an eye on it since this this is occurring in the courthouse that I'm, I typically practice in. Um, if I get the chance, and this goes to trial, I will be going to watch some of this. Fear you not. Oh, yeah, yeah. So something to keep an eye on is whether the Trost can get a can get their pound of flesh. So that's a story of Brian Trost and the uh, the infamous Spider House of St. Louis a real life waking nightmare um, and uh, sucks to think about. So my big question to the two of you, let's just say hypothetically you found yourself in this situation and um, just maybe in like, you know, the short term, you had to find a way to make the best of it. What are you going to do? Well, you know, um, insurance might not cover spiders or mold or anything like that anything helpful in this case but you know what they will cover Hmm. if that house burns to the fucking ground (laughs) and that is precisely what i'm going to do because i'm going to take a shitload of those spiders with me and also i am no longer saddled with this christ awful nightmare of a house and i might actually get my money back so yeah gasoline and matches baby
1: (laughs) how about Uh, you jack Cody you're going fire i'm going fire power uh i'm bringing in noted shit bags black water uh we're just gonna shoot the shit out of all of them and maybe <laughs> some of those fucks can die from the spiders in uh, in the meantime as well we're just you realize like, you gotta pay them a man.
0: fee for for every spider they kill right
1: not if they're dead so uh i'm trying i'm trying to go for a uh, a zero zero tie at the end of it and they just all die <laughs> That's it's like the That the, is the, that's, like the a,
0: that's a like a predator style action movie
1: that you just you just came up with. It's the movie Eight-Legged Freaks except it's happening in a suburban house.
0: So that's like the the family guy bit in the early season where the house has all the fleas and they call in the exterminators and they yeah. just start like fucking firing machine guns all over the place. That was
1: kind of my inspiration honestly. It was just that. You think I'd miss this party?
0: <laughs> yeah, for me um You know, at risk of, I don't think I'm ever going to find myself in this scenario, so I don't think I'm risking too much. Um, What might make me feel a little bit better is um, some sort of terrorist act against this insurance company's office. (laughs) Yeah. Let's see how good your insurance is. Yeah. Oh my God, this entire floor is coated with petroleum jelly. Or become like a mad scientist and try and do something where I just create one giant spider. And unleash it on the office be like the giant spider invasion except it's not in wisconsin see if uh yeah see if you can uh, make them like a spider voltron where you can get them all to work in concert and form one giant spider it's almost as if they were organized organized okay so that concludes our first topic of the episode um up next is cody cody who's your ghoul this week oh we got a classic chiller for you this week i am so excited to be bringing you a tale of mayhem and murder and a real idiot perfect this week we discuss the one the only way jack all right so what i'm gonna need you to do is i need you to we're gonna we're gonna set the mood here okay uh i have turned my lights off for those of you who are not currently in this video chat that is actually true he (laughs) has yeah considering we're impressively dark in your room considering we are we are doing this at 2 p.m i have uh i i still have some blackout curtains up and i'm at mom and dad's place this week i still have some blackout curtains up so those are closed um but yeah we're gonna set the move we're gonna get it nice and dark and i want you to mentally put yourselves in one of the classic spooky destinations that's right we're going back to merry old england Ooh. So I want you to picture Oh god I'm horrified England
1: God the food's so bland oh no They don't season the anything
0: That is the appropriate response Look at their teeth um, yeah, Picture a damp Misty night With the uh, break in the clouds Bringing the harsh light of the full moon Out to bear The fog rolling over the barren moors the carriage is bouncing along the cobblestone streets, which doesn't make any sense because this is Yorkshire in the 1970s. Okay, but still, but it's spooky, so I put it in there anyway. I think that's what it's still like there. I, we need a we need a classic cartoon wolf howl in the background of this. Um, we can find if we can find that old Hanna Barbera sound effect. We got to <laughs> put that over the top of it. So, for those of you who uh, are into creepy shit you might know that uh, Yorkshire in the late 1970s was actually a pretty scary place to be, uh, especially for women, particularly sex workers. You yeah. see, there was a series of fairly brutal murders happening, and the police didn't really have a ton of leads. Right. I was going to say, not that there's ever been a non-scary time to be a sex worker, but yeah. uh, that that is a particularly bad one. You're correct. Yeah. No. The, t- time and place was, uh, you're just right at ground zero here.
1: No, did they not have a ton of leads, or did they just not give a shit? Because I feel like that's probably more likely for them. Well, I can tell you that they did give a shit, at least at a point. But
0: um, as to the uh, quality of their police work, I will allow you to make a judgment there later on. Um, I have an inkling of of what my judgment's going to be, but we'll get there. It seemed like the police were never going to get close to the man the press had dubbed the Yorkshire Ripper. But in March 1978, after, I believe, seven murders at that point. Good God. uh, George Oldfield. This had been going on for, I believe, three years at this point. I think the first one was in 75. Sorry, George Um, Oldfield. Yes, George Oldfield. He was the police detective that was heading the investigation here. He sounds delightful. Yeah. Definitely a good time at parties. <laughs> we'll get there. George yeah. Oldfield. So, old George here, uh, he receives a letter from a man claiming to be the Yorkshire Ripper, and it was taunting the police, very, very much, you know, kind of like Jack the Ripper did, or Zodiac, or BTK. Right. Or uh, so, uh or the Mr. Snowman guy. Exactly. Did, did any of you ever yeah, actually that, see that, that movie? I, I, that fucking weirdo. Yeah. um yeah, yeah i don't remember um anyway so here's the letter that he received i'm gonna go ahead and read it for you <clears throat> dear sir <clears throat> i am sorry i cannot give my name for obvious reasons i am the ripper i've been dubbed a maniac by the press but not by you you call me clever and i am You and your mates haven't got a clue. That photo in the paper gave me fits, and that bit about killing myself? No chance. I've got things to do. My purpose, to rid the streets of them sluts. My one regret is that young lassie McDonald. Did not know, cause changed routine that night. Up to number eight, now you say seven, but remember Preston 75. That was a reference to uh, another murder that some people would later try to connect to the Yorkshire River. I'll get about a bit, you know. You were right, I travel a bit. <clears throat> you probably look for me in Sunderland. Don't bother, I'm not daft. Just posted a letter there on one of my trips. Not a bad place compared with Chapeltown and Manningham and other places. Warn whores to keep off the streets cause I feel it coming on again. Sorry about young lassie. Yours respectfully, Jack the Ripper. P.S. Might write again later. Not sure last one really deserved it. They're getting younger each time. Old slut next time, I hope. Uttersfield, never, li- never again. Too small, close call last one. PPS, I've dropped me bangers in me mash. Now that
1: that last part was
0: fake. This guy sound. Why does he sound like Ian Saint Ian? <laughs> because that's, <laughs> that's the voice I'm doing <laughs> for him. That's a very that's a very low percentage joke. But if you get it, you get it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, I should add um, that. Um, not to promote other people's podcasts, but um, they're doing Shocktober over at Street Fight um, uh, Murder Brian with um, Chris James and Felix Biederman. Mm. and they just did for the first time ever. They talked about Bob and Tom show. Fucking hated it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so,
1: so check that out if you want. If you want to, if you want to hear their thoughts on Bob and Tom. Also, uh, in that letter, I love how he opens up with "I'm not going to name myself" and then gives himself two different names. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, at least we so all anyway. shooting up all schools. <laughs> That's a joke for Sarah. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. So, you said thank you first, and then you're welcome. Well, fucking Jack, I'm. It's early afternoon, and I'm drinking. What do you expect me? <laughs> so anyway, he's now he's dubbed himself Jack the Ripper. Classic narcissistic behavior. Uh, between this first letter and June 1979, he would send uh, two more different letters and an audio recording. Yes, Alex? Say, I, I think uh, I think I would have experienced Jack the Ripper had Jack John and I roomed together that one year, especially <laughs> after he had some Taco Bell. <laughs> oh, we love bullying our friend. That's um, right. <laughs> so he sent two more letters and then uh, an audio recording. This audio recording was another series of taunts, much like I just read, and in a move I find genuinely hilarious, the tape ended with a snippet of Andrew Gold's 1978 hit, Thank You for Being a Friend, now known primarily as the theme song for the Golden Girls. Well, that's just just camp. I love that. Yeah. Did the Golden Girls ever do a weird Halloween episode? I I, don't know. I really hope so. I never really watched it. Mom and dad like it. I'll have to ask them. You know, like um, the episode of uh, um, Boy Meets World where it's like the the murder mystery that's like an alternate timeline almost. I want there to be a Golden Girls episode like that. I don't (laughs) think there is, but I wish there was. It all turns out to be a dream. Yeah. So, George Oldfield goes, aha, now I've got it. Jack had what was known as a Weir side accent native to that area of England next to the river Weir. <clears throat> now, finally they had something they could go on. They started calling him Weir side Jack and the hunt began. Now the FBI who were consulting on this case had said from the start that these letters are probably bogus. They, they did not think these were legit Yorkshire Ripper letters. um, and, of course, the Yorkshire police ignored them completely. And as soon as the audio tape came in, they told the Yorkshire police, this is, this is, not, this is not right. You're, you're, this is a hoax. You're dealing with a hoaxer here. George Oldfield said, the fuck do you know? Paid them no mind and went full steam ahead on this investigation. They consulted with dialect experts and determined that their man was from the Castletown area of Sunderland. Over the next year... They spent a crazy amount of time and money pursuing this lead. They did a big PR campaign, um, and obviously all of their their Yorkshire Ripper investigations were largely centered on this fact, because it was really the only lead they had. Um, interestingly enough, a victim who had survived one of the early Yorkshire Ripper attacks was very publicly pissed about this, because she'd been pretty adamant that no, this is a local guy. He's got a Yorkshire accent. He knows his way around. This, this guy is, has at least been living here for a very long time if he's not from here. Um, Oldfield paid that no mind either and soldiered on. In 1979, uh, there was a classified memo released within the Yorkshire PD instructing the police to disregard any suspect without a Wearside accent. <coughs> While this investigation was ongoing, the Ripper killed three women and attacked two more. Until, in 1981, the police, as they so often do, stumbled dick first into the solution.
1: Ah. Oh no.
0: See, Yorkshire police caught a real fucking psycho named Peter Sutcliffe red-handed with a prostitute in his car along with assorted weapons and murder paraphernalia that matched the Ripper's MO immediately. The police what, question him. Well are you taking me into quickly how they I'm, had their man. I'm just trying to get more dick wet. I am. <laughs> yeah,
1: don't kink shame.
0: So the police questioned this guy and they realized, oh fuck, yeah, this is absolutely the guy. Yeah, we this is one hundred percent the Yorkshire Ripper. Um that quickly came to be true as Sutcliffe confessed relatively quickly. Uh what was strange, however, was that Peter Sutcliffe did not have a weird side accent. As the earlier victim had uh, indicated, was a Yorkshireman, and in fact, he had been questioned by detectives and released no fewer than how many times do you think they questioned this guy and let him go over the previous five years? I'll let you take a guess. <clears throat> I'm gonna say ten.
1: I'm gonna go Check slightly on. less and say eight. Holy fuck! It was nine. That okay. was really <laughs>
0: Yeah. Well, look, also, Nine... I, I work as a public defender. I understand police incompetence quite well. Yeah. Nine <laughs> times they had this guy in questioning oh. him and released him, and primarily released him because of his lack of a Wearside accent. That was the one thing they were absolutely sure of.
1: Well, he's definitely been murdering people, but he doesn't sound right. So we got nothing. George Oldfield.
0: ...realized at this point that he had made a monumental (laughs) fuck-up. Yeah! Like, the (laughs) the stuff of legend. This belongs in the bungling Hall of Fame. This is like something Chief Wiggum from The Simpsons would do. (laughs) And after Peter Sutcliffe was caught, just to rub salt in George Oldfield's wounds... Um, he remarked that during this whole time, he felt totally safe continuing his crimes because he knew the police were sure it was a a Northern Englishman from, from the weird side here he <laughs> Like, they're going to let me go. They've done it nine times. Heartbreaking. The worst person you know just made a great point, <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. He's he's stabbing sex workers. And he's like, man, somebody should really make a stop to this. Like, this, is, this has gone <laughs> on too long. Stab, stab, stab.
0: So, George Oldfield retired in disgrace soon afterwards uh he if i can say one thing for george oldfield it is that once this all came out he knew just exactly how badly he'd fucked up and how much harm he had probably caused um he retired in disgrace and died not long afterwards he said so the case is finally solved. at least we get one happy note of this whole story (laughs) yeah so the case was finally solved but then that left a lot of people with the question who's this weird side jack guy where did where did this come from somebody had to have done this who would do something like this this man while probably not a murderer had certainly caused some very serious very real damage they thought they'd never know but in 2005 just kind of on a whim um, one of the investigators decided to take another look at the Wearside Jack evidence. Now, this is the first time anyone had been through it in quite a while uh, since the advent of DNA evidence. And he said, well, you know, people lick envelopes, they lick stamps, maybe there's some DNA here. And sure enough, they found traces of DNA belonging to a man named John Humble. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, could not, I could not have written that joke if I <clears throat> wanted to. Is there no. a single real thing in this story? <laughs> <laughs> it, this really is kind of a house of cards of, of lies that this story yeah. is, uh, is built on. Yeah, so John Humble was a man from Sunderland, and he was one of those guys who just never quite found his way. <clears throat> he was, based on his school records, a fairly intelligent guy, but for some reason he, he just could never hold down a job or, or get started on a career. He worked uh, some different manual labor jobs off and on, but overall he was usually unemployed. He was a pissed off, sad, bitter man who had a penchant for drinking. He'd been arrested for assaulting his then wife in 1999, along with the odd drunken disorderly charge. And in 2005, the chickens would finally come home to roost when John Humble, a.k.a. Wearside Jack, was finally arrested. Now, by this point, Humble had become a full-blown alcoholic. Uh, he and his brother, who he lived with, were both just raging drunks. <clears throat> As a matter of fact, when the police showed up to arrest him, he and his brother were both blackout drunk when the cops got there, and they had to let him sleep it off in the cells before they could even talk to him. So he had to wake up in a cell, and the cops had to explain why he was there.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. That's got to be just the worst
0: <sighs> fucking day ever can't imagine why he turned to alcoholism. I mean, his life seems so stable. Yeah. (laughs) He was motivated, uh, primarily, it was determined, by a wish for notoriety. Mm -hmm. And also, he was one of those people who had kind of a fascination with the Jack the Ripper murders. Now, that's not too unusual or weird. I am also interested in that case and, you know, true crime in general. But, you know, Humble always had kind of a thing for the Jack the Ripper murders and also, it was not said, but I think heavily implied, that he was probably pretty drunk when he did all this shit. <laughs> just because, number one, he seemed to always be, and number two, this is the kind of stupid, <clears throat> off-the-wall idea you only have when you are truly hammered.
1: Right. I'm, I'm just imagining them reviewing the letters in 2005 and going, I'm I, not certain, but I'm pretty sure these words are slurred. They're written, <laughs> I can tell they're slurred. <laughs>
0: Oh, it's like they used to call slurring speaking in cursive, yeah. Yes. Um
1: This letter is written in whiskey. <laughs> is there Um yeah, there's, there's a bottle cap in this letter. <laughs> Why is there a cocktail onion? Um <laughs> So humble
0: for what it's worth, he had felt extremely guilty really really since he had done this. And at two different points in the early eighties had phone police before they had caught uh, Sutcliffe phone police anonymously and indicated that the whole thing was a hoax. But of course he was ignored, uh, ignored because he wasn't like, Hey, I know this is a hoax because I'm the guy who did it. Right. Um, Because he didn't really want to say that. And even if he did, he's remaining anonymous. There's no way they can verify any of this. Um, his guilty conscience largely led to his increased alcoholism and at least one suicide attempt. Um, Actually, once he got caught, he seemed relieved that it was kind of of, finally out in the open and he was finally going to get, you know, get what was coming to him. Um, In 2006, John Humble was convicted of perverting the course of justice and sentenced to eight years in prison. He served four years before eventually being released and given a new identity, eventually dying in 2019. A classic case of when doing fun bits with the boys goes wrong. Yeah, we've all been there. So. That brings me to my big spooky question for the two of you. And I'm anticipating some of these answers might actually be a little spooky. What, for the two of you, what ridiculous lie do you think you could get the police to believe? (laughs) So I think if you could if you could hoax the cops any way you wanted to, what do you think you could get them to buy? <coughs> right, go ahead, Jack Jones. I swallowed some beer the wrong way.
1: <coughs> uh, I'm going to spend years, years working on the most elaborate bank heist of all time. Uh, I'm going to like, spend like hundreds of hours of man resources on it, uh, and when I'm finally caught. I'm just going to pin it on my cats. Hmm. And I'm just going to be like, look, these, these are mischievous cats. The, you you don't know it, but they're they're the ones, they're the masterminds here. And I'm going to die on that hill that it, that it was my cats that did it the entire time. You know, and I, I, I'm- Police are stupid, I, so I'm going to just hope they go for it.
0: I was going to say, I, I'm tempted to scold you for aiming too high there, but then I re- remembered <laughs> some of the things that the police did in this story. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> Okay. Maybe maybe that could work in certain yeah. places, yeah. So my prep work I'm gonna do is um I'm gonna I'm gonna take up a, a career as a, a magician. I'm gonna be like Johnny Magic. I'm not gonna commit a big bank heist because that would be much like the uh the twenty thirteen film Now You See Me, it's fucking awful. <laughs> but um really pretty much any crime that I wanna commit, um you know, whatever evidence they find, I'm just going to tell the cops like, "Oh, it's just part of my magic act," and like they're never going to come watch because then you just ha- then you have to sit through a magician, and nobody's ever going to do that. So, um, it- it's less one particular lie and more that my 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 side hustle is going to be a cover for anything I do. It's I think it's bulletproof. Even the most dedicated uh, FBI agent will not sit through a magic act. It won't happen.
1: Even as your friend, I will not sit through that.
0: Right. I wouldn't expect anybody to. Yeah, it's a captive audience at Six Flags. People who are uh, people who are fucking motion sick and need a little bit of a break for a minute. If if a magician or if, like an FBI agent happened to be a fat tourist, then maybe maybe we'd be on to something. But well, I feel like being in the FBI would interfere with his fat tourism. Well, so sure, those those two things don't cross over very often. All right. Well, All right, good answers, both of you. Um. I think for me, I don't know, it's, it's a tough one. Um, I think I could probably um, get them to believe that I committed some crime. Realistically, I think I could genuinely, if I committed some crime and then I told the police that it was part of a uh, Pizzagate QAnon cover up and that actually i am not who i it says i am on my driver's license i'm being framed for this whole thing and what i did was all in service to expose these giant uh, new world order pedophile rings that obviously exist um and are, are run by the world's governments uh i know a disturbing amount of cops who would buy that like a truly really scary amount that i think is the scariest part of this story is the amount of police incompetence um but, yeah, that, that's a depressing note to end this one on. But uh, it's a spooky story, so what the fuck you expect? Good answers. I don't know about that, Cody. That would imply that a lot of the cops have uh, uh, very ridiculous right-wing beliefs that they carry with them. And that's certainly <laughs> that's, that can't be. No, I, I, I didn't. I didn't, I didn't uh, that was not implicit at all. Uh, that was explicit. Right. That was just me saying that. <laughs> okay, I, I, I didn't imply it. That was just me saying that that's a true thing, because it is. Fair enough. All right, well, uh, um, <clears throat> good topic, Cody. And um, to wind down our Halloween special, we turn to um, we turn to Jack John to continue on the... Uh, actually, hold on. I, I was going to say, I was trying to decide whether to say Monster Mash or Graveyard Smash. In this era, which one sounds dirtier? Probably Graveyard Smash, right? Graveyard Smash. Graveyard Smash, yeah. yeah. That like, they, both, they both sound like there's a little... Uh, little uh, yeah creeping and uh, creaking and groaning going on but uh
1: i would rather be smashed than mashed
0: me too i think
1: i'm gonna write that (laughs) down
0: yeah we're trying to decide what to get jack john for christmas
1: it it, it's the new game the kids are playing mash or smash
0: (laughs) in any of that sounds like that could get you in serious trouble well to wrap up our um our graveyard smash here we turn to jack john jack john who's your goal this
1: week my guy, this week is one last homage to Halloween and the spooky season. Uh, while I might not have a hunger for spooky killers or a deep knowledge of horror cinema, cinema like my other two co-hosts, I do have interest to overlap with real-life spookiness. Last week, I talked about the jovial and light nature spookiness in pro wrestling with Charles Wright, a.k.a. Papa Shango, the voodoo priest. Mm-hmm. But this episode, I will turn to my other favorite topic for a much more real scene for horror, the First World War.
0: Oh, very horrifying with- indeed.
1: And with that, let's talk about my guy, Vladimir Karpovich Kutlinsky, or VK as I will refer to him for the remainder of my topic.
0: Really? You're you're not going with Vlad? Um, honestly, it, I it's looked, it's literally a Halloween episode. In, and that's the spookiest name ever.
1: Yeah. Uh, in one of my uh, sources that I looked at, they kept referring to him as VK and I just I went with it. I adopted it.
0: Vlad Kutlinsky. Well, I'm glad he doesn't sound menacing. At least he's got that going for him. <laughs> I uh, I don't know that thing you just did reminded me. I don't think I've ever said it on the podcast, but it has long been my uh, my dream to own a pet bat that I can teach <laughs> to talk like a parrot, but in a bad Transylvanian accent. So you would just sit on my shoulder. Bleh. And isn't part of a bit that his name would be Bleh? I don't know. I, I don't know if I ever landed on that for sure. The thing is, I haven't thought about this too much because that's physically impossible. So I've tried mm. not to pin
1: too many hopes on it. You you haven't found the right amount of weed where you start taking the idea seriously or not.
0: <laughs> so you're never going never gonna to achieve it with that attitude.
1: Uh, but VK was from the town Ostrov-Puskov, a region in the northwest of the Russian Empire. Get ready for more bad Russian. <laughs> it's coming. Don't worry. None of us. Nobody knows Thank where God.
0: any of these places are or how to actually say them. It doesn't yeah. matter.
1: Yeah. Uh, the northwest of the Russian Empire, uh, way up at the top. He was born... August 3rd of 1894, there his father was a peasant and his mother, a telegram operator for the railway station, uh, didn't really have much going for him in terms of like monetary gains. He pretty much was destined to kind of fall in his father's footsteps uh, if he had kind of kept going down that road. In 1905, VK would enter in, though, to the Piskov uh, which was the Russian secondary school. There, he would do okay uh, and would take interest uh, in natural sciences and art, but overall wouldn't be too amazing of a student, but did have a a fondness in those subjects and would do fairly well in them.
0: So this is just a very average dude at this point. This is a guy. Just a guy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Here is a guy. Yeah. uh, For for the real spookiness, I just decided to tell you about the life of a peasant and nothing more. (laughs) (laughs) You know...
0: That's some real existential shit. That's like a contemporary (laughs) horror movie where everything's like a metaphor for grief or poverty or some stupid shit. It's basically uh, The Witch.
1: It's the Ryan Reynolds uh, guy movie, except there's nothing interesting that happens to him in the middle of it. (laughs) Uh, But in 1913, he would pass all of his exams and shift his focus to the country's military efforts, as was compulsory for all males aged 20 in the Russian Empire. He would roll, enroll into the military topographical school in St. Petersburg in the summer of 1914 and would see his first year of service serving as a Junker, a low-ranking, one-year contracted soldier for the military. I'm sorry, you said he, they called him a Junker? Uh, it was spelled J-U-N-K-E-R, like Junker, but I saw yeah. like, pronunciations that were like Junker. No,
0: I just think that's a really hilarious thing to call somebody.
1: Yeah. Sounds like an old-timey British insult. <laughs> Uh, there, he would land surveying around Rezkene, uh which is now in the uh, Latvian countryside. During this time period, something would change the course of his life forever, as on August 1st, 1914, Germany would declare war on the Russian Empire, kicking off their involvement in the First World War.
0: Yeah, Germany did love declaring war on places, didn't they? It's a whole Norm MacDonald they... bit about that, yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Who did they decide for their enemy? The world! Crazy thing was, it was actually close.
1: His military education and training would be accelerated, forcing his class to graduate early, a mere month after the declaration. So he didn't even get all of his full like military training and like schooling. They were just like, "All right, uh, you're going to war. Good luck."
0: <laughs> Sorry, we uh, we meant to get into where the safety is on the guns uh, on the last day, but we're gonna have to accelerate this a little bit. So uh, just. Try not to point him
1: directly at yourself, okay? VK would be promoted and assigned to the rank of second lieutenant and would be assigned to be a part of the 226th Zemlansky, Zemlansky Infantry Regiment and be stationed at uh, osovic Fortress, a fortress that would protect the Russian and German border. Okay. The fortress itself is an incredible piece of architecture built between 1882 and 1892. The fort stands over a very important fixture in the region, even beyond it lying near the border of the two countries. Ocevic also is juxtaposed between the Belostok-Lik konisberg rail line and the Biemzra River, uh, which has several marshes uh, relying outside of it as well.
0: That is a hell of a mouthful of alphabet soup you got there.
1: (laughs) Yeah, uh, I think all of the hard Russian is over and I get to actually start saying things soon. This made the fort vital for the railway to pass supplies through the region an absolute must-have for the Russian Empire. This is exactly why it became a source for heavy conflict during that First World War. The Germans first tried to siege the fort in the fall of 1914, surrounding the base with several infantry battalions. Even with this onslaught, the Russians were able to hold off the raiding Germans with strategic artillery counterfire. The Germans would try again in the spring of the following year, engaging in similar prolonged bombings but ultimately falling short, and the resulting trench war w- would give little way each uh, in either direction. This would all lead to the biggest moment for the fortress, at least in terms of the First World War. Enter our guy V.K. Mm-hmm. V.K. was an interesting guy when it came to the mindset uh, of war, or at least from his perspective. One of his peers was quoted as saying the man seemed to have absolutely no idea what a sense of fear or even a sense of self-preservation was.
0: Look, this dude grew up in the Russian countryside in the early 1900s. What the hell has he got to fear from death? Like, really? How much worse could it be? Yeah, complete sociopath with no disregard for his own safety. Kind of your ideal for trench warfare, you know, if such a thing exists. if he dies he
1: dies (laughs) he was a great leader that soldiers looked up to and had an incredible stoic nature amidst a global war the russian empire had been strengthened uh, with its defenses at osovic adding in more infantry units and arming them as well to hold off the growing german push to take the fortress because of the growing stress of the war and the strategic need to gain the fortress the germans had to go all out on the third strike to finally take over their objective. This set of attacks started on July 17th in 1915, The Germans now being guided by Field Marshal von Hindenburg, the most German name of all time.
0: Von Hindenburg, yeah. Hope that plan didn't blow up in their face too bad. There it is. Yeah, it was this... full of hot
1: air. God, I hate this podcast. <laughs>
0: that's that's not even true. The Hindenburg was full of hydrogen. That was the entire problem. <laughs> um, Well, actually, cut, cut, actually, cut
1: Cut to the Archer episode. (laughs) Yeah, that's
0: how I know that. (laughs) Rigid air ship.
1: Did you just
0: not watch the presentation?
1: The first wave of this plan differed not at all from the first two attempts on the fort. Bomb the shit out of it. Something you see in many war movies, which does ring true, the goal wasn't necessarily to take down the fort with the strikes, but to slowly break down the will and the psyche of the men inside, who are exposed to round-the-clock bombings.
0: Hey, yeah. hey, hey, they're still trying to blow us up. Yeah, OK. All right. Wake me up if uh, if they actually do, OK.
1: <laughs> With the breaking down of the men's will, the Germans would enlist phase two of this plan. On July 31st, the Germans had installed 30 cylinders around the grounds of the fort, and would wait until the exact moment to deploy their grand plan. And seven days later, on August 6th at 4 a.m., the time was right. <clears throat> Those cylinders were placed in four different positions, angled towards Ausovic. Bundles of the... Go ahead.
0: Did, he, uh, did the... Was the effect of the cylinders that they negated the attack and inflicted damage um, to the attackers' life points equal to the, uh, the amount of the attackers? That's an obscure joke. Yep, that's a Yu-Gi-Oh joke. That's how drunk it's, I'm it's, getting. It's
1: it's rare when I want to call you a nerd. But here <laughs> we are. <clears throat> so, phase one bombings. Phase two cylinders.
0: Phase three polka. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Bundles of between six or four gas batteries were lined up in those cylinders and facing the Russians. The wind now blowing exactly how it needed to, the gas batteries were turned on, and a heavy, thick, green fog began to flow over the trenches in the battlefield. The fog was a combination of chlorine and bromine.
0: Cool. Oh, that's, uh, that's, yeah, that's really nasty.
1: The grass around the field instantly turned black, the leaves on the trees falling off and wilting. The Russian guns, made from copper that were just outside, had turned green from the chemical air that surrounded them. The gas itself was a massive sheet over the area. It reached the trenches of the fort in a mere five minutes, and the fort itself shortly after. The we, gas had, we
0: must construct the world's largest fan.
1: The gas had spread an estimate of over 10 miles in all directions facing towards the fort, and was an estimated 30 feet tall. Just an absolute fuckload of toxic gas spewed yeah. towards the Russians.
0: Also not unlike Jack John post Taco Bell. There we go.
1: There it is. Meanwhile, on the inside, there was a problem. The Russian Empire and the men inside of osovic lacked gas masks. That is a problem, yes. <laughs> well, guess we die. Almost instantly, the men of the Ninth. 10th, 11th, and 12th company inside had died from asphyxiation and the chemicals entering their bloodstream and general poison related deaths.
0: Yeah, Chlorine gas is fucking brutal. I don't know if you uh, World War I and Two history nerds know too much about gas attacks, but it, chlorine was one of the nastier ones. Maybe not quite as bad as mustard gas, but you didn't want to face full either of them. Yeah, there's a reason yeah. all this shit is uh, illegal now. Illegal by the rules of war, which is, is, like, there's not much of. Yeah. But
1: There's very few things you can't do in war, and one of them is gas the shit yeah. out.
0: there's of. a reason why they can hang you with a hague for doing this kind of thing now, yeah.
1: The gas had faded almost entirely, and the Germans began to make their march to the inside. All total, the, journals, the Germans invaded with 14 different battalions, estimated at around 7,000 troops on the ground. They began making their way through the scorched trenches, walking over lifeless bodies when they stopped. Emerging from the trench in front of them was something truly horrifying. A man had risen from the gas. Covered in blood-soaked bandages, bleeding profusely, chemical burns scarring his entire body, and coughing out bits of his own lungs, a Russian soldier began firing back at the Germans.
0: Sorry, coughing out bits of his own lungs... Yes. Is that the title of a fucking cannibal corpse song? <laughs> That's hideous. Oh, the some party.
1: Oh, where are my geese <clears throat> More and more Russian soldiers begin to pour out from the trenches, totaling up to about 100 men. Screaming and wielding bayonets, men from the 8th and 13th companies begin to charge, led by a near-dead VK vk out in front of the men wielding only a pair of binoculars directing and ordering the men to fight to the literal death god well i mean look
0: you're gonna die in five minutes anyway give them hell kid
1: (laughs) and that was basically they're nazis that's a badass way to do it that was basically the mindset the russians were pissed off because they were just essentially melted and they're like all right Someone's going to die in this battlefield. I know it's going to be me. It may as well be you too. I
0: was going to say, I ain't going to be the last one. I love to be essentially
1: melted. The zombie army of the Russians was beginning to push back the German onslaught. This rightfully so scared the ever leaping shit out of the Germans who legitimately believed that the dead were fighting back against them at this point.
0: You know how hard it is to frighten a German? (laughs) They do not scare easily. Like bad, they were hosen for Christ's sake. Bad Wiener Schmitzel and human decency are usually the only two ways to scare a German. These people eat Braunschweiger. Ugh. There is very Ugh. little you can do. Shuddered. Shuddered at the thought.
1: Well, the Germans would return some fire back against the Russians, this was heavily one-sided as the Russians were quite literally dead men walking, falling apart, and decaying as the battle wore on. The Germans and the retreat would fall into their own barbed wire traps and even trample some of their own men in a frenzy to get away from that zombie army. So they're literally just falling over themselves, running away in panic. Sadly, VK would be shot in the chest during this push and would ultimately die due to these wounds, as well as the previous wounds of, again, being melted. This is eerily
0: similar to what happened in Return of the Living Dead. Like the acid rain makes zombies.
1: During his dying breaths, he would pass over the command to another soldier to carry on the fight. The Russians would be able to push off the Germans and be able to hold their own ground. This battle would be later known as the attack of the dead men due to the basic zombie army of Russians pushing back against the Germans.
0: Good God. World War I was not a time for subtlety, it would seem.
1: Yeah, no, everything that I've read about is fascinating, but also fucking terrifying. This is why you don't fuck with the Ruskies. Because they're insane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially this at this point in history.
0: They're insane, and I guarantee they live worse lives than you. <laughs> there's, yes.
1: nothing, Again, there's nothing you can threaten them with, you know? Our guy in this story was a peasant and then was like, fuck it, I guess I'll go die for my country by any means necessary. Two weeks after the grueling batter, battle, the remaining survivors of the Russian army, people actually fucking survived this, were taken home to get the care they desperately needed. And I would bet avenge... they wish
0: they hadn't, though.
1: <laughs> like... Yeah, it... I don't know if that's worth living afterwards. Chemical
0: in... burns covering your entire body is a hard thing to move past as a human.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, VK would be posthumously awarded the Order of St. George, the highest honor uh, a soldier could receive for his act of bravery in certain death. His legacy would be told in a different way than many would think, or at least in terms of World War One. As it turns out, metal bands fucking love this story. Oh,
0: yeah, I'm uh, sure.
1: <laughs> yeah. The act of bravery of the men rising from certain grave uh, would be best shown in the song Attack of the Dead Men by Sabaton, which was the inspiration for this story. Right on. Which leads me to my big question for you guys. Which guy that you've presented on in the past, would you like to have a song written about them? And for bonus points, which band or artist is writing that song?
0: I tell you, I had a hell of a time making a choice here. There are so many great options. But for me, I think the choice eventually becomes too good to ignore. I want to hear The Ballad of Bass Reeves, uh, written and performed by Waylon Jennings. Ooh, Yeah, he'd be a good one for that. King of the Outlaws. Him or, like, uh, oh, fuck, Steve Earle, maybe. So this one was tough for me because, like, obviously I want everything to be about Giuseppe. But I couldn't couldn't come up with a right... (laughs) Artist quite for him, so I'm going to do this instead. I'm going to go with, and you know, Wizard of New Zealand would also be a close one for this artist, but I'm going to go with Lord Timothy Dexter because his sort of strange story with like slight economic underpinnings, shrouded in like metaphor, absolutely perfect for a song by Primus.
1: Ooh, that's very that's where true. I'm at. Yeah.
0: So that's, that's my choice. I'm going with a Lord Timothy Dexter tribute by Primus. How about a Giuseppe Zangara song written by Weird Al? Oh, Ooh, sure. yeah, th-
1: That's a polka that's there. That's a good
0: one, yeah. That's a good thought.
1: Great answers, both of you. I'm going to go. I had two options. One that I think would be legitimately good and one that I just wanted to hear. Uh I'm gonna go with Oimo Kuevanov, uh from episode twenty four Dutch <laughs> drive by the Finnish uh ski soldier who dropped a shit ton of meth and then just skied all through the Alps and away from the Nazis <clears throat> um and the amount of psychedelic ideas that I get from that can only best be summed up by fish and just having yep. them play just some ridiculous just acid rock and just like trip through the entire story. It's an 18 minute long song. I feel like,
0: I feel like the grateful dead could have killed
1: that. Grateful dead would have been another good one. I think
0: of a bunch of like, yeah, like sleep or acid mammoth or Pelican could do some kind of instrumental. That'd be good. So I just had another, uh, great idea when Jack mentioned, uh, Dutch drive by the episode. Uh, because I forgot that this person was actually a professional songwriter at a point, but a, um, a song about Franz Reichelt written by Shell Silverstein. Oh sure. Yeah. Ooh.
1: Okay, yeah. I yeah. like that. Performed also by so Dr. Hook, of course. Uh, I've also been listening to a shit ton of Origami Angel, uh, the band yes. that we saw open for the Wonder Years. That's right. Um kind and they're, they're impressive. They are I described them as like zoomer minecraft math rock. Yeah, they're the uh, math pop.
0: they're math pop, yeah. I think for me. Um, they were they were the two and, the two man act, right? Yes, yeah. I thought
1: so, yeah. And I want them to cover Anastayla, the woman who kept slipping over banana peels and committing insults. <laughs> I just want them to tell that Sure,
0: why not? God, we could do a whole fucking, just a whole half hour segment just on this. Yes. Just kicking this idea around like a football.
1: I, I, I went through a bunch of our old episodes and I was like, this one's good, this one's good, this one's good. And I was really excited to see which characters you guys would take.
0: Well, holy shit! What a fun episode that was. Uh, fun and spooky time had by all, and we're glad you you were here to to uh, enjoy it with us. So let's uh, let's wrap this thing up the in the ways that we always do. We'll start by going around the horn and hawking our shit. Cody, where can the people find you? Uh, you can find me here weekly on Here's a Guy on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher uh, as often as we can. Over at a, a little Twitch channel that of us and our friend pookie uh have going called here's an adventure um you can also find me on
1: twitter i'm at son of gravy for 2069
0: all right how about you jack john where can the people find you
1: oh yeah people can find me on my twitch channel at jack john plays games obviously you can find me over on here's an adventure as well and uh check out my other podcast Belchcast, where our friend pookie and i get together and talk about beer and nerd shit
0: all right. And as for me, you can find me on Twitter at Turpin for Prez. That's Turpin, the number four P-R-E-Z. I'll just uh, second. What everyone said about here's an adventure. I'm on that as well. And it's a great time. Not a hundred percent sure when the next episode's going to be, but we'll, uh, we'll be figuring that out soon enough. Um, you can uh, also contact us at here's a mailbox at gmail.com. Send us comments, suggestions, feedback, roasting threats, whatever. It may make it on the show. It usually does. Um, and uh, follow the the, uh, the podcast Twitter account as well. It's uh, um, at here's a guy pod. All right. Well, uh, what a great romp that was. And um, I guess we should we should put a bow on this thing. Uh, so, Cody, do you have a tagline for us by any chance? I do. I'm actually going to bring in a guest for the tagline. All right. All right. Well, uh, thanks, everyone, for joining us. Hope you had a fun, spooky time just like we did and uh, to, to put an exclamation point on this thing, Cody, uh, hit us with that tagline. Thanks for joining us. It's been a scream. <laughs> oh,
1: Good night, yeah. Daddy.